0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and another episode of the Yolk with Doke. So we got some news. So Tom and I uh, discussed the his latest news, the latest project, one that any golf historian is going to romanticize about, uh, dream about, and uh, it sounds like it is going to be coming to fruition. So without further ado, let's get straight to the pod I guess I said without further ado, but if you haven't yet, check out our website. Go sign up for the newsletter. That's an easy way to support us. Get the newsletter. It's free, so it's not even putting money in our pocket. Sign up for the newsletter. Get your golf news from us. It's three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's free, and it'll keep you uh, up to date with everything going on. All right, so big news. Out of Wisconsin, you're going to be rebuilding the Lido course uh, adjacent to the Sand Valley Resort. It'll be a private club, but will allow public play from resort guests at Sand Valley. Uh, Tell us about the Lido Club, the Lido Project, um, and rebuilding it in Wisconsin.
1: Well, as you know people have been talking about how, what a shame it is that the lead, the old Lido on long Island was lost and gee, wouldn't it be great if somebody could rebuild something like that for at least 15 or 20 years. Um, you know, that was sort of the Genesis of old McDonald was that, uh, George Botto who wrote McDonald's bio- biography, um, tried to sell Mike Kaiser on rebuilding the Lido at Bandit, you know, on the site for old McDonald's. And at some point Mike had me look at it and I said, well, you know, gee, this isn't really, you know, you can't just take the footprint of that golf course and move it to Oregon. You know, so the site is not the same shape. There's that big Ridge that you hit over now on the third hole." Lido didn't have something like that you're not going to knock that all down um you know the ocean is on the wrong side <laughs> at Lido. The, the, the beach was to the south and it at, at old mcdonald the cliff is to the west so you know and that was just it was a it was a good piece of land and it just didn't make sense to try to turn it into something completely different it would have been a ton of work but you know, Mike was clearly excited by the idea of doing a McDonald's-style golf course. He'd had all kinds of architects pitch all kinds of ideas to him. And he wasn't really comfortable with any of them because they were all about, like, changing the land around. And that wasn't what he'd done with Bandon Dunes or Pacific Dunes. So he never got comfortable with that until, you know, when George started talking about a McDonald's-style course. He was like, oh, yeah, I love those. You know, I'm I'm a member of two, <laughs> and and I love the national. And if we could build something like that, I'd be okay. So, so kind of what George had really been proposing anyway was to take the holes from the Lido and put you know try to fit them on the ground at in in Oregon. And I said, well, that's really what McDonald did. Anytime you hired him to build a golf course, he had all these ideas, and he just tried to see where they would fit on the ground. Just don't call it the Lido because you're not really you know, you're not building the whole golf course. You're just trying to build pieces of it like any other McDonald's.
0: So, so what changed with Wisconsin? So obviously Wisconsin, you're not going to have an ocean, but. You're not going to have an
1: ocean. And, you know, and I wonder in the back of my mind, you know, the Kaiser should know as well as anybody that having an ocean next to your golf course is worth a lot of points on a ranking. (laughs) So, so that, you know, the Lido having been the third, Ranked golf course in America at some point, I'm sure that had something to do with being right next to the Atlantic Ocean. And mm-hmm. we don't have that going for us. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you know, it's a relatively flat, really sandy site, so we can move the dirt around the same way they did. You know, the, the, the McDonald's Lido on Long Island was an entirely created golf course. It was kind of a swampy, flat site, and they dredged the inland channel to get the fill material to build it but he built a model of what he wanted to build and they took a bunch of elevations off it and then pumped all this fill into place they they you know they put like big wooden forms up to try to hold the material in because it comes in really wet and like it wouldn't stay in place and make a big 20 foot mound like they wanted to so you know they had some it was it was a difficult project and it They spent a fortune building. Um, but you know, one of the cool parts about it was mcdonald spent way more time working on the undulations of it because it didn't have any to start. And he realized that, you know, it needed to be like a links and it needed to have all these cool undulations in the fairway. So unlike Chicago golf club or most of the other courses he built that he just kind of used existing grade for fairways, uh, he actually built all the contours that were there and they were pretty elaborate from all the pictures. So, yeah,
0: so he, he designed not only the golf course, but also he designed the topography that the golf course was, was laid on top of.
1: Yeah, the whole landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know a, a massive project for those days, you know, not completely, not way different than say what I did at the Rawls course 20 years ago but that scale of construction I mean a huge amount of fill and you know and it, it had nothing to do with the existing site because there wasn't really anything there to work with so from that perspective you know no one can really argue that we're doing the wrong thing by moving a lot of dirt to make it that way that's how they made the first one
0: <laughs> talk about that I I assume it, it, one of the th- reasons I saw in Dream golf that you didn't want to do the Lido also was that, that nobody had enough good information on the Lido to build it like it had been. Something changed with that.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, I've seen hundreds of eh, dozens and dozens of black and white photos of the old golf course from, from every angle, but not every hole, you know, and, you know, aerials, but aerials don't give you any sense of the topography. And yeah, you know, I've seen, I don't know what happened to the model. You know, there was a the physical model, model that they worked off of, and I don't know whatever happened to that, but I've seen pictures of it. You know, it was just hard for me based on the other stuff I'd seen to have an idea of how close did they actually build it to the model? You know, cause when we build a golf course, we don't follow the plans exactly usually. But in that case, you're gonna you're gonna do close, right? Because you you're you're having somebody pump all this dirt into place to build that feature. You're gonna leave most of those. You might change around a few and think when you get on the ground, now that doesn't look right. I need to change that. But most of it, you went to all that trouble, so you're gonna keep. It. Yeah. Um, but so you know, I know several people. On the fringes of the golf business that are always digging around and sending me more photos that they found somewhere else um but you know like three or four years ago a guy named peter flory a golfer from chicago who you know pretty well um started working on a like a computer game version of the leader and he was pretty obsessive about it. And he just went and gathered every photo and every piece of data that he could possibly find. And, you know, after obsessing about it for a while, he got some like LiDAR data of what it looked like. I don't know how. And, um, you know, and he started using like every photo, like, okay, I'm standing here and he could triangulate elevations of things. You know, he knew certain elevations of features, and then he can start triangulating more off of that. So he did this very sophisticated looking computer game that, you know, when you looked at the graphics, you thought, that looks pretty, that looks pretty close. I mean, I don't see anything there that looks like it's clearly wrong or out of place. That's kind of amazing. And so, Michael Kaiser's idea was to take that and use it as the basis for building the golf. Course. And, you know, when I signed up for the deal, I was like, well, how are we going to get it out of the computer game? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't really, you know, I went to MIT, but only for six months. <laughs> so, so I, I don't have a clue about how in the world, you know, what, how that all that data is stored. And is it really stored in like, does it really have elevations for all those points, or is it's some yeah. completely? Is it different like in a
0: computer form? language? Like is well, it is it what we would recognize as like X, or is it like a code? Yeah,
1: you know, it's all zeros and ones in there at some point, yeah. but but it is you know it's based on a lot of data points of elevations that Peter had to figure out from doing everything that he could, and then adjust if it didn't look right. So, so when I signed up, I was like, I'm still not really sure. Am I going to have to draw a map of this thing just by looking at this computer game obsessively, which would be really hard. Yeah. <laughs> or, or is there going to be some way that we can spit out a map of this based up, you know, off the computer? That looks like a grading plan that we could actually go build, and you know I didn't know the answer until September or first of October, and somebody sent me a grading plan, and you know I can read a topo map, so you know looking at the grading plan, I just it took me about five minutes of looking at it to think, well, I don't know if this is perfect, but this is way better than I would have drawn the first time, mm-hmm. you know, I and mean, you know so. So basically, they got a guy who does computer games to go back in there and you know write some kind of bot program to pick out a million elevations from it, export those, and you know put it into CAD and make a a three D plan uh, grading plan for it, which is um, pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I you know I'm I'm very much low tech in my own designs. You know, we, most of the decisions we make, we go out in the field and make them. And I don't try to model stuff in advance on the computer and then go build it because, you know, I think the decisions are more efficient out in the field. But when you're starting from scratch on something like this and you've got to put a bunch of dirt in place and get it right. If you can do it with that, that's way more efficient. And I'm just dying to see how good it is. I mean, you know, my eye on paper, it looks pretty good. When we get out there, I'm curious to see if if it's really that great. You know, it's a one-foot plan, which is pretty detailed, more detailed than we would normally draw.
0: With that, you know, with this project, you're putting something back from, like, scratch versus... You know, when you build a golf course, you're drawing out a plan, you're, you know, you're in the field, you're working with the land, you're, you're making edits as you go. I imagine this project's going to be a little bit different for you and your team in the fact that there is not going to be that much editing, right?
1: It's way different. And yeah, I mean, you know, we're normally when we're in the field, we change our minds and we think, well, Yeah, I could cut that green down, the back of that green down a little more and it would look better. And here we're not, we're trying not to make those kinds of decisions. We really want to build the Lido the way the Lido was. But what we, you know, what we the decisions we have to make are: does that look right? Did the did all this computer information that we got produce something that really looks like that green should look? Or do we have to keep working on it? to get it to what these pictures show and what I know about what McDonald would build. You know, so there's, there is still judgment calls to be made. I mean, you know, nothing's precise, but it's, it's a very, very different process.
0: With this, just a bigger picture thing. And I, I just jumped into my mind when you were talking about this, like when say I'm just think you know something that popped in mind, like Ojai Valley Inn Club, where they have these lost Thomas holes, right? Yeah. And they, yeah. you know, they have. Re- would would this process? Do you think this is a future process for restoration of holes that have been like completely lost, where you know the the landscape's been changed? Uh, the but we have old photos, old data that we could go back and build these types of models per se of these old holes and then replicate them more efficiently and, you know, more precisely.
1: Possibly. Yes. I mean, I'll be able to answer that question a lot better <laughs> after we, we spend the next few months working on the Lido, but yeah, if, you know, Peter Flory would probably be a better person to answer that question than me. But, you know, I think it all comes down to, you know, how much data do you have on what the old holes were like? Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to collect an awful lot about the Lido because it was a famous old golf course and people took a ton of pictures of it. And there was that model to work from too. And assuming that the model was pretty close to the finished product that they built. So you wouldn't have, for Ojai, you wouldn't have a model. But on the other hand, they probably didn't tear up the land all that much when they, when they, when they rebuilt the golf course. It changed those holes so you've got, you know, you've got a lot to work with there, you know, like a lot of times some of the old golf courses that I've done restoration work on, you know, if they were, if they were taking the easy route, they just brought fill in and built a new golf, new golf hall over the top of the old. And then it's like archeology. span You yeah. just dig through the, all the old fill and take it away. And the old green is really still down there. I remember- I've had that happen a number of times and I'm I'm always kind of shocked when I see it. it's like, yeah, they didn't really do it. You know, they didn't tear up the old hole at all. They just buried it.
0: <laughs> I remember when I was out at Bel Air, one of the days you guys were doing construction. And, and that day, Kai found that, that old, that old bunker on four at Bel Air. And he was just digging around. <laughs> and right. he's like, oh yeah, I found the bunker edge. <laughs> and it's just like, he just plopped a bunch of dirt on top of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, th- in the fifties and sixties, especially that was kind of the easy way to do things. You could, you know, everybody was building houses everywhere and it wasn't too hard to get some contractor to bring you fill if you needed it. So a lot of the plans they drew were just, yeah, just truck in fill and build new features over the top of the old. Um,
0: With this project, a, a McDonald. Talked about how much of earth moving work was, and you alluded to that earlier with, you know, basically creating a site. I imagine this is a massive earthwork project for you guys on your end in comparison to most of your work.
1: Well, it is. Craig Haltum, who, who is, you know, who found the land for Sand Valley originally and, you know, works for Oliphant Construction, those guys are doing, you know, they're staking out and grading everything. So by the time I get there, like, You know, this is we're talking on the fifth of January, and the the fourth and twelfth holes are already mostly built. They've got that big lake dug out, and they've put dirt in place on those two holes so far, and a couple other holes. That the lake isn't as deep as it's going to be yet, but you know they're just like doing big excavations in certain places that were the lower end of the golf course, especially the big pond, and then you know, putting fill in place to try to hit the, the grading plan that we've got. So by the time I see it, there's going to be a few holes mostly there. And, you know, and, you know, there'll either be almost no shaping work to do, or there'll be quite a bit, Mm -hmm. right. You know, that's, that's when the rubber meets the road and we find out how hard this is going to be to finish off.
0: So you'll first start doing shaping work in spring of 2021.
1: Yeah, probably about the 1st of April.
0: That's, that's exciting. Whenever, yeah, that's,
1: the, you know, whenever the snow gets out of the way. I mean, the construction schedule will be, you can plant grass there starting about the 1st of You can plant for grass from about the 1st of June to the 1st of September. So we want a couple of golf holes ready to plant grass on the 1st of June. So we have to start shaping in April, put in the irrigation and do all the finish work in May and plant on the 1st of June and then just keep going on that. On, on that
0: same piece. Um, you know, I think it it would be probably for listeners that don't know a ton about Lido it'd be good to do some history on lido. I you know, we've talked a little bit about about some of it. but um you know, how did the lido come about you know, where was it in the McDonald timeline? And you know obviously, he was a cantankerous fe- fellow of cb and uh you know what got him to do this project cuz he didn't didn't always do a lot of projects
1: no he only did I mean, he only has a dozen courses with his name on mm-hmm. and uh and Lido was somewhere in the middle of that I, mean, I think it opened for play in 1918 um so It was a big development project i mean at that at that point there was you know now everything around there is nothing but homes but but back then that whole south shore of Long Island the little barrier strip where it is, was pretty bleak and open and there wasn't anything there and he, so he it was a development company that wanted him to do the golf course so that you know there would be a bunch of homes in the area not not like a typical development in the States now where there's homes right up against every fairway. You know, it was a, it was just a golf, it was a core golf course, but you know, there are going to be tons of homes to the size. Uh, so, you know, and he wasn't that keen on doing that. And the, the way they hooked him into it was by telling him you can build anything you want here. You know, we're just going to, we'll pump as much dirt as we need to pump. You can build those template holes exactly the way you want. You don't have to deal with, with the hill not being high enough. You know, you can make whatever you want to make. And, you know, that appealed to his ego. So eventually they convinced him to do it. Um, and it was really, you know, it was, they started in like 1914 or 15. And, and one of the reasons the golf course is so famous, in addition to the fact that it was pretty well regarded when it got done, but one of the reasons it's so famous is, I don't know whose idea it was, probably the developers, to have a contest to build to design a hole for the lead-up. Mm-hmm. And they ran it in Country Life, the British magazine, kind of an upper crust magazine. And, uh, you know, that's the competition that Alistair McKenzie won that kind of got helped make his name as a designer when he was still a doctor who'd only built one golf course on his own. Um, And that's the origins
0: of the Lido competition, which Golf Digest still runs.
1: Yes. Yes. They called it the Lido. I don't, I don't remember the, I don't remember what they called the competition. I don't think they called it the Lido competition then, but it was to design the finishing hole for this great golf course that they were going to move heaven and earth to build. Uh, So you could design anything you wanted. And there weren't, you know, as opposed to the the uh, Golf Digest competitions now where there are tens of thousands of entries. I think the original Lido competition, Country Life, had about 60. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and some of them were, some of them were, you know, people in golf, famous people in golf. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them were a complete amateur enthusiasts like you would get today um in fact three not just mckenzie's hall that they turned into the 18th hall but three of the halls at the lido were based on entries to that competition one was a hall that tom simpson drew that was kind of that they featured so they had three articles about the competition when it ran first was mckenzie's second was the two runners up which were by two English guys who were just mm-hmm. amateur designers. And then the third was they had a couple of drawings submitted by other famous architects or golfers. And one of them, and again, this is Tom Simpson before he had yeah. designed very many golf courses, but uh, you know, he did a drawing that McDon- McDonald, apparently liked enough that they used it for the 15th hole at Lita. Mm-hmm. And and one of the two runners up was a was a long dog leg par four with a bunch of mounds and cross bunkers and stuff, and that was the sixth hole. And that that was the origin of there's there was a hole that, that Seth Rayner built three or four times on some of his own golf courses. That at uh, at a project he built in Newport, it was called. Rainer's Prize Dog Leg. Yeah. But what that meant was that was a hole from the Lido competition that Rainer really liked. <laughs> and decided and they built it at Lido. Blue, and mound, he liked Blue it, mound. So he fun. built it on some of his other golf courses too.
0: Yeah, Blue Mound. The tenth hole at Blue Mound is is one of those. Rainer. Really? Prize. I think I, I remember that. I think that's Yeah, so, so, the right length. Mm-hmm. That's um, a crazy green there.
1: That is crazy green. So so, you know, so there's there's a whole bunch of publicity leading into the thing because of all this. And then, um, you know, they go ahead and start building the golf course. And the, the plan was everything in the writing says that they use 2 million cubic yards of fill. And, you know, I've, I know enough about earth moving to know that would make some huge features. And when I saw Peter's model, the one thing I questioned about it was, it doesn't look like... I assume the features would be bigger if they really moved 2 million yards. And he said, you know, I think they just had to use a lot just to get the thing out from being underwater and getting it up to where it was dry ground. Mm-hmm. And that made all the sense in the world. I mean, if you all you have to do is put like another, let me think about it. Five feet, six feet of fill over 150 acres, and that's a million cubic yards of dirt right there. Yeah,
0: it's uh, that's. I I found it funny in George Bato's book, The Evangelist, that McDonald had agreed to the to design the project allegedly, you know, before ever seeing the site, and then he got to the site and was really upset. <laughs> about because it was just a swampy lagoon, you know. And uh and he was trying to back out of the deal and they were like, Well, you gave us your word that you would do it. So like it kind of roped him back in. And they assured him that he could spend as much money as he wanted.
1: Well, yeah, I could see the same thing. You know somebody somebody emailed me about a landfill project the other day, so I might get to have that experience someday. <laughs> um You know, at least we don't have to deal with that in Wisconsin. You know, we're starting from a good sand base. The sand there is deeper than anything. You know, that site had maybe 10 or 12 feet of elevation change on it, just gentle ups and downs and stuff. So it wouldn't have been a bad site for golf the way it was, except it was totally covered by trees. So the first step is get rid of all that and all the roots and debris underneath. That's a ton of work right there. Mm -hmm. Um, And
0: that's – That's an important point. It's like one of the reasons old McDonald didn't work for it was that the land was so good for golf itself. Like this is an example of almost more of a blank canvas where you could where you would feel comfortable creating it. Right.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, the site wasn't completely flat, but it didn't have a lot of features that you would think, ah, you know, that's that's, you know, it's not nearly as good a site as the stuff Across the road at Sand Valley, which is just more dramatic and the scale of it's probably three times as big. Mm-hmm.
0: How how is Lido different outside of obviously the the design competition holes? How is it, it, it a different feel from McDonald's most famous course, National Golf Links?
1: Um, well, National's kind of a big golf course stretched out on a line, more or less. Mm-hmm. So you're playing out and back in a big quarter. And Lido was a very compact 18 holes with a bunch of holes running north and south parallel to each other and really close together. You know, the one thing in an ideal world, I'd have just built exactly what they had at Lido, but it was only on 115 acres and a lot of the fairways were so close together that, you know, people be hitting golf balls onto other halls all day and night if if we built it that way today that probably had something to do with it not lasting until today Um, because it was you know there are several holes on it that are just like you can't can't do that (laughs) you know we got to space it out a little bit and leave more room now we're not trying to you know that's all for safety we weren't we, we aren't trying to change it to make it longer but by the same token when you create more space you also do leave some opportunities to make it longer so so the finished product we will have you know you'll be able to tee off from exactly the same length and play exactly the same hole that McDonald built in 1918
0: like bunkers but, all in the exact same spot
1: yes but there will be some some more choices of tees now than there were then. Mm -hmm. that's the that's really the only difference and you have a little more room you know where we where we space the holes wider apart like in the on the original golf course if you sliced off the 17th tee you'd you'd hit it on to 16 t or even over 16 t toward 15 green and it was just like no that's way too close so so we space that out wider and it's, you know it'll take a pretty wild slice to get over there now but instead you know so now there's just a there'll be a big mound where 16 t was as you play 17 so you'll still you know if you hit it over there right you're still on the side of a hill or up on top of a hill or something uh, it'll just you won't be hitting somebody on the other tee. yeah <laughs>
0: Um, what were the most famous holes at lido? uh,
1: well, the eighteenth hole Mackenzie's hole they did they didn't build it exactly like his plan in country life. They simplified it a little bit because his original hole was like four hundred feet wide and had five roots to play it. <laughs> they kind of squished it down to three um but you know those carry distances are all the way he had them. Uh, you know it's a pretty interesting golf hole and obviously that had a lot of advanced publicity to it Mm -hmm. It, you know other than that and the other two holes from the contest that i named you have a lot of the the typical mcdonald template holes Mm -hmm. uh, including you know for the hole they built a hill that was like 25 feet high you know to play over or around and then by far the other most famous hole on the golf course was the fourth hole, par five that played uh, along the North end of the golf course. So that the ocean was on the South and then the golf course went completely across the little barrier strip. It had a road, it actually had a road through the middle of it from East to West, which is another reason it didn't last forever. Because are, are you
0: recreating the road?
1: Uh, I'll get to that in a minute but you know the the road today you know you would hit over the road four times and that just wouldn't you know it's a busy busy town now that there's no way in hell that would work so that would be a big problem if the if you tried to if the golf course existed today Um, but so the channel hole was at the north end of the site which bordered on Reynolds channel which is kind of part of the intercoastal waterway system you know you can take, just like Florida, you can take a, a small boat through the channel and avoid all the waves on the ocean mm-hmm. as you work your way out east. Um, so the channel was uh, quarter mile, half a mile across before you get to the main, main body of Long Island, pretty big body of water. And the channel hole was a par five that you could either dogleg inland and play it a lot longer and play it like a three shot hole or go straight for the green, you know, in which case you had to carry it like more than 200 yards to a little island fairway sitting up in the dunes. And if you sliced it right, you were in the channel. Mm -hmm. And then from there over water to a really high green, you know, just, and, you know, kind of like a pine Valley hole except a small landing area you know, it was built. So it was a real risk. You know, if you went for the Island to take the shortcut and you missed it, it was rough enough that you probably couldn't get over the water with your second shot. You know, you'd just be playing a wedge back up onto the fairway that you were trying to hit and still have 200 yards to go. So you're taking a real risk to go that way.
0: Mm -hmm. That's uh yeah that's it it made me remind it reminds me of that that famous myrtle peach hole <laughs> that's it's got that island of fairway in the middle of the big lake of water that's just like what I started to think of you know what i what I'm talking about and I'm, it's a, I'm famous... not
1: sure I, and I'm not sure which hole you mean there, but um you know I think the cool thing about it is you know there have been a ton of holes built like that in the last fifty years with alternate fairways yeah. and everything else but there's very few of them that the the long hitter really pays much penalty for going for it. Yeah, you know, unless it's just water everywhere, they're still gonna, you know, be able. You know, it's you're letting the long hitter take a shorter route. It's yeah, just, that and just makes it way easier for them.
0: And if it's in like a bunker and they're you know a hundred yards closer, they're like,
1: okay, you know, right, right. So. You know, on most of on most holes like that, you don't see too many people taking the long way. At, at the Lido, I think most people did take the long way. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that the technology and how, how much farther people hit it now really changes the equation some. Um, you know, it was only the, the big carry in 1918 was 200 yards off the tee. To a narrow fairway, which was 30 yards wide, which is normal for now. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so it, it's going to have to be pretty severe around it. But, but, you know, if you play it from the historic tee, it's going to be kind of a three-wood layup hole for a good player and then a you know, five, six iron to the green or something like that. So that is one place we stretched out. A back tee. You know, well, you know... So spacing all the holes, you know, most of the holes run parallel north and south. So spacing them out more means that the third green gets farther away from the fourth green, which is playing mm-hmm. east to west along the top. So yeah, we have plenty more room to build the tee further back and make it a 250 or 60 yard carry to that fairway where the really long players now will still feel like they're, Taking the same risk that they had to back in the day.
0: What I, I guess this is a a question. A, you know, with Lido, what's the golf's like? Allure, fascination with golf courses that no longer exist. I fall into this bucket. Why? Why are we crazy about golf courses and always dream about golf courses that don't exist, like Lido?
1: I'm not sure. You know. I mean. I've had two or three of my own golf courses go away and, you know, one of them was really close to my house and I I do miss it. And it's like, God, I wish I could go back and play that again. You know, that's a shame. But, you know, I think there's certainly a few that were like, you know, like Lido that were thought of as great golf courses back in the day. And, or you read somebody like Bernard Darwin writing about, an old golf course and think wow that must have been awesome I wish I could see something like that now Uh, but I'm not sure why I mean it does seem like there's a ton of people that are really fascinated by this story and I'm not sure what the hook is Uh, I'm honestly not sure Uh, and by the same token I know a lot of people that are like yeah you know I don't care about that story at all and that's fine you know if if we didn't think it was a good golf course on its own merits, you wouldn't be built. You're not just building it for the people that are really hooked into the story. Yeah. There's not enough of that. Maybe there are, you know, this, I mean, it is a private club. If there's 300 members that really want that, that's all you really need. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, we think, no, it was a, it was a great golf course too. So people are going to like it because of that, regardless of, whether they know anything about the Lido, just the same as old McDonald's. It's like there's a lot of people that don't care about McDonald's directly, but they like those golf balls. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: are there any other uh, no longer exist courses, existing courses that really interest you outside of your own, like from the golden age, say? Uh,
1: there's a few, uh, you know. I you know I don't obsess about them so so some of the ones that I've heard about like the old the old Mill Road Farm course <laughs> in Chicago that was supposedly one of Flynn's best courses I just I haven't really spent enough time looking at my cousin and pictures of that to know
0: my cousin's backyard is on that golf course
1: Wow which hole <laughs> I, I I'm not positive That's
0: but it. I think one of his neighbors has like a bunker in the backyard
1: Hmm. Uh, so you know i just i don't know enough about a lot of those you know the the one that of all the ones that i read about the one the one that fascinates me the most is darwin's description of blackheath the the old course in london the way they played it back in the 1800s and the early 1900s it was only seven holes and you know it's it's like in the t- city of greenwich which is a big suburb of london now if you you know the land is still there and most of it's a park but you'd be like hitting it through people and over cars and everything so you can't really do it anymore and it's not nearly as rough and rugged but in the day it was it was only seven holes and two of them were really long holes like you know the equipment back then, you could only hit it like 180 yards, maybe. But the way he describes one of them, it was probably a par six, and you know, and another hole right after it that was a par five that was still really hard to get to and three with the equipment that they had back in the day. And it just, you know, it it sounds it just sounds like such a different game. Yeah, be able, you know, to be able to play. A golf course is that rugged with that kind of equipment, and you know, you can't reproduce it now. I mean, you know, good players hitting a th- three wood is not hard for them off the fairway. They can just rip it two ninety all day now, and it's like that was really hard to do a hundred years ago. Nobody could nobody could play those kind of shots consistently. So having a hole that you had to do it three times in a row was a real challenge.
0: It's. Yeah, that was a golf course. Didn't a lot of the seaside links traditionalists kind of, uh, you know, poo-poo Blackheath? Wasn't that like the golf won't work out outside the sea because of how muddy it was there or something?
1: I don't know. I don't think it had the reputation of being muddy. I mean, it was in general that was the that was the feeling about inland golf was Mm -hmm. just ah the conditions suck and it's just it's not golf. But that was kind of like a very hard Scrabble place, but it was it was fairly highly regarded. And it was just hard. You know, it was a hard golf course. It was seven holes. So you played it three times around to have a, a round of golf was 21 holes. And, you know, the standard for good players was breaking 100 <laughs> <laughs> in 21 all so you know averaging a little less than five was really good
0: so, so how's how the games changed from Blackheath. <laughs> yeah um so with with lito are there what's you know what would be your biggest concern and and i guess uh you know well, is there is there one aspect of it that you're most excited for outside of the 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 fact that people won't be talking about rebuilding Lido anymore?
1: Uh, I'm just really curious to see it come out of the ground and see if it, it see how close it looks to what I visualized that it was. You know, because I you know I wasn't really even part of that process so much. You know, I'm going to have to take it from there and get across the finish line. But but I'm just dying to see, you know, have a first look at a few holes and see how close they look to what I've always imagined that thing looked like.
0: I bet that's one of the coolest things about design of the course is like when you first start to like really see it coming to life.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's like, the cliche most people have about golf course architecture is that it's all built to my vision. Like Mm -hmm. I could have just painted every hole exactly what it was going to look like. And that's not how I work. You know, it's, it's like, it's a process and you keep working on the hole and making it better. And you, you know, you, you see, you see the hole evolve and, and you, you, you make it, you, you take advantage of those things to make it look better and make it look prettier and you move the T so it aims at something's particular. And, and you know, I don't have that all figured out in advance. I don't really think any other architect does either. I, you know, I think that's just a myth that, that everybody plays along to because we like people thinking that we're geniuses. Yeah. But it's But in, in fact, it's a lot of hard work to get there. Mm. And so... So, and that's the fun part is just, you know, that the thing keeps evolving and you keep making it better as you go. And here it's it's like, I'm not even there right now for the process of getting the first half of the first, hopefully 80 or 90% of it done. You know, that's just taking a plan and building it back to as close as we could draw to what the finished product is. And you know now we'll have a look at it and see what there what else there is to do.
0: Yeah, that's cool. It's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. We'll we'll finally get to know where uh, where a represent uh, close a very as accurate as you could get representation of Lido without notion stacks up with everything else.
1: Yeah, I mean personally, I'm you know I'm not attached at all to what the ranking of it will be. It's just like. You know, for me, the the goal is to get the reproduction just spot on to what it should be. And that'll be an interesting goal.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, we'll we'll uh, check in over the next couple of years with this. This is an exciting new project.
1: Yeah. Hopefully by summer, we'll have an idea of how it's going. <laughs> yeah. We won't get all the holes finished this year, but we'll get a lot done.